Welcome to the world of Dungeons and Dragons, where me and Snoop will dive you into our story. There will be many dragons and many uh, splendors ahead. And uh, if Snoop doesn't have anything else to say, I am a, pause for uh, Snoop's thing that he might want to oh, say. I am a bard with level 3 charisma and level 15 horniness. That's terrible. And uh, Depends on who's asking. With that, we'll roll for initiative. Now I have to pick up all these dice. Welcome everyone to the Comicsology Club, a show where we get together, we drink together, and more importantly, we read together. The we I'm referring to is, of course, me, Snoop Lynch, and my co-host, Higginstern. Hey, that's me. He is right there. New Cat's playing with the, the cables. New Cat was on the last episode. I don't know if you yeah. heard that, <laughs> I don't know if I did or not. He made the little guest appearance at the beginning, because <laughs> uh, we are sponsored by 008 Studios. Oh, yeah, we are. Mm, that is a company that our friend and boss, I guess he's our boss, right? Yeah, but he's our friend first. He's friend first, <laughs> boss later. I like that. That's a good dynamic. Well, uh, that the person we're referring to is Michael Lopez. He runs 008 Studios. Higgins, you might be asking, what is 008 Studios? I I ask that question every day. <laughs> well, um, good. I'm, Hopefully you can tell me. Oh, I, I can tell you something. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> so 008 Studios is a company that you would go to if you want to, I don't know, Higgins, maybe if you're feeling saucy enough to write a book to uh, design a video game, maybe get into some other kind of medium that creates entertainment that's not music-related. Yeah, absolutely. F off with your music career. Unless you're creating music for the video game you're making. He yeah, probably guess, help you with that. I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, but point is, if you're looking to do any and all of those things, uh, our friend, Michael Lopez, he's, he's a good place to go to for that. He will uh, help you meet with the right people. Hopefully get the right funding. He does does kind of a, a mixed bag of all different things. Um, he's done his own things, as we've talked about many of time. Um, his first book and first release for the company was The Eternal Crown, Dawning of the Red Sun. God, you've nailed that every time. Every time you're about to say it, I'm like thinking of what it's called, and I know it's Eternal Crown, but I can never remember the subtext. Well, Higgins, I'd hate to break it to you because you haven't gotten that one down yet, but there is a sequel book. Is it called Eternal Crown? The Red Sun is also has already risen the red sun is dawned you'd think so but no uh this one is called the eternal crown trials of the clergy oh okay that makes sense i read the book so i know what that means you haven't read this book because no i haven't read that book yeah geez all right calm down um but it's on the way that's the first time we've gotten the subtext for that one right i think it's the first time we've said it on here on the podcast i'm pretty sure michael's mentioned it to me in the past um now as far as the status of this book and if you can't wait if you just want to read some eternal crown i will leave a link to michael's uh website where you can buy the first book and you know get your fix that way um but as far as the sequel the trials of the clergy right now he's expected to have about three to four months left in the writing process after that it'll go to the first round of editing you know you get that back you listen to people's notes some you do some you don't um you know just regular stuff like put more darth vader in there yeah. that kind of thing uh so that's kind of where we're at with that one. And um, Higgins, you read this book, so these names will mean something to you probably. Uh, but the story will focus on the continuing adventures of Mira and Koro doing their own thing while Kira is on her own. Because as you know, 
those are important characters that are doing different things at different times. Oh dang, they're splitting the party. They are splitting the party. Look at the look at that look at that uh foreshadowing we're doing right now in our own in our own advertisement. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's doing that. He's doing a couple other things. I'm currently working on uh, getting some videos out for him, which he'll put on his YouTube channel um, involving the Eternal Crown. Uh, kind of what that's about, the story, the world, the characters, and another project he's currently working on um, called the Icarus Campaign, which is going to be a big transmedia project, Higgins. Do you know oh, what yeah. that means? Yeah, multiple medias. Multiple mediums and medias all the time, everywhere. There's going to be a book, there's going to be a game, and there might be a something else. Definitely, I think, yeah. Um, you're absolutely right about the a book. A video. Yeah. Um, so the book is going to come first. I have a synopsis about that if you want a little something-something. Yeah, I'm down to hear it. Excellent. Um, so Higgins, in the Icarus campaign, humanity has finally united the Milky Way system and formed the Galactic Federation Navy. Now, after perfecting lightspeed travel and reaching the outer depths of space, making up the mysterious Andromeda system, humans are surprised to find a life far different than their own. This is the story of humanity's first contact with the people of the Andromeda system. It's a sci-fi thing. I love a sci-fi thing. Me too, Higgins. And I'm sure I'll love this book and anything that comes out to do with it uh, in the future. Not as many updates on that, but like I said, I'm currently working on a video for Michael that he kind of um, goes into a little bit more about the project. There's some concept art, Higgins, that you can look at on the screen. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's great. I love concept art. Is it by the same gal that did his first book? That is a question I should know the answer to, and I do not. Hey, man, we'll find out next time. You'll find out in the video. Another thing about about this, mm-hmm. I've been uh, beta reading a book by one of Bethany's friends. Oh, okay. And Michael and him might be in talks. So as far as I know, like he might be helping him publish it by the end of it. It's another fantasy book. It's a fun read. I've been, you know, picking out grammar stuff and helping him like work out the kinks. Oh, you've so, been part of the editing process. Yeah, I'm very a, good. I'm a beta reader. It felt kind of cool. Yeah, like you finally have a purpose in life. Yeah. Yeah, that must be nice. I can't wait for when that happens to me. Yeah, I might talk about it more on our next episode when I have more details about like if they actually are in talks <laughs> or not. But like I know that yeah. we, I know that we put them in touch with each other and that her friend said that they will probably be working together at least in the publishing department. Excellent. That's that's all great stuff. And if you're listening to this and you think you might want to work with Michael as well, uh, I will, like I said, we'll leave a link to his website and you can buy his stuff. You can get in contact with him about your own projects and you know how all that stuff works. He can explain what all this is better than I ever could. Um, so that, that's definitely the the resource you want to turn to. If and if links scare you, you can find it at 0-0-8studios.com. That's absolutely right. And all of the things are there. Yep. You got it. Um, with all that said, let's circle back to that wonderful segue you had about splitting a party. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Does that still count as a segue if I reference that you made a segue earlier? Well, segregative. Seg- segways. Segregation. Segways go in reverse. Okay, cool. Um, well. I think. It's probably scarier, but. There's no one. Because you're leaning room. back and there's not a little thing in front of you, but like. You could probably do it. <laughs> it's a real leap of faith, if you ask me. You can at least turn around and go backwards. Yeah. Kind of like how the guy who made the Segway took a leap of faith and died going off that cliff on a Segway. On a Segway. Yeah. Um, but forget about him for just a moment, if you could, Higgins. I know it tears your heart up every day to remember that that guy's dead. All the time. Every single day. Um, and let's instead take some moments to talk about this month's book. 
we can do that. Um, it's a book we've started before. Mm-hmm. We we're coming back to a second volume, like we've done about ten to eleven times now. That's very generous to say we've done that ten to eleven times. But yes, we have done something like this in the past before, and we're doing it again. Um, this month's book is the second volume of Die by Kieran Gillen and uh, Stephanie Hans and somebody with the last name Cowles. Something like that, yes. Um, so, Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans are co-creators of the story. Uh, Kieran Gillen does writing. Stephanie Hans does art. We'll probably just focus on their work today, but that's not to take away from any of the other work that went into this. Um, this volume is called Split the Party, as we have probably mentioned once or twice. Um, yeah, and that's always a terrible thing to do, folks, if you're doing any sort of D&Ding like they do in this book. I believe it, because some bad things happen in this yeah, book. Yeah, so many they bad split things. Up. Yeah, um, so... This collection gathers issues 6 through 10 of uh, this story. I just found out today, Higgins, that we are halfway through after reading yeah, this. Yeah, I saw it's uh, 20, and, 20 and done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like a just like 20. the D- Jesus Christ. <laughs> Beat you to it. I don't even know anything about this stuff. Uh, so, yes, we're halfway there. Uh, we're going to talk about the second volume today. These uh, initial issues came out from August 2019 to December 2019. Um, I've got a synopsis for this volume, if you'd like to hear it, Higgins. Yeah, I'm down to hear it. That's good, because you probably didn't read the book anyway. Um, So, (laughs) in this story, we're catching back up with our main characters, and it goes a little something like this. No one can escape die until everyone agrees to go home. Or rather, no one can escape die until everyone who is alive agrees to go home. The commercial and critical hit second arc of the bleakly romantic fantasy fiction series starts to reveal the secrets of the world of Die and our hero's past. There's always the chance they'll escape Die. However, they'll never escape themselves. Wow. And boy, does that just sum the whole dang thing up. Basically, yeah. Um, so, I guess a quick overall catch-up. Because we did this episode a lot longer ago than I would have thought. This was like episode, the first volume we did like episode 20 of yeah. our podcast, something that's like that. more than half ago. It's crazy, right? Um, so the general Maybe idea. Maybe that's why I didn't remember anything about the first <laughs> volume and yeah. had to reread it. Hey, you're not the only one. I had to reread the first <laughs> volume as well. And I'm glad I did. I, I, it was a nice it, little catch up. To it, the, made, it made it make, make the second part make way more sense. Absolutely, for sure. yeah. Um, so the first volume we've talked about, short version is... A bunch of people, when they were kids, got sent to a fantasy world one night, and they pop back up in the real world two years later. Um, there's only five of them instead of six, and one girl's missing an arm, and they don't talk about it for like 25 years. Then they get sucked back into this fantasy world, and crazy stuff be happening. Crazy stuff do be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, when we last checked on these guys, they killed the one friend that didn't get out because he turned evil, and he had dyes for eyes. Oh, yeah, Soul. Mm-hmm. He had Dice for Eyes. Oh, it's Dice for Eyes. Yeah, that's what... Dice is the, the plural, and Die is just one. I'd like to think that Dice for Eyes sounds better, though. So yeah. Can I just do that? That's fine. Thank you. Um. So, yeah, they killed that guy. Uh, he turned into a weird zombie fallen thing, and then the party got split up because some wanted to go back home, and others didn't. And now we pick up here. Yeah, just to think, like, if a couple of these people weren't such assholes, this book could have ended in five issues. Easily, yeah. But they're all kind (laughs) of assholes, and I do really like that element of it, Um, which is, I think, more or less what you and I talked about in the first volume, is what's interesting about this book, because this premise isn't exactly fresh, this kind of stuff has happened before, and 
like those original Dungeons and Dragons movies. I'm pretty sure that's what happens is they get sucked into Dungeons and Dragons. But what makes this fun is all these people kind of suck. And more importantly, they all kind of hate each other for various reasons. Even the ones that like each other don't really seem to love each other that much. So there's two groups of people that like split apart when the party splits. And for whatever reason, the two to three people that are in a group together after they split also don't like each other. So it's like they have similar goals in both both subsects. But then once they get split up, they also have dissimilar goals once they're there. Yeah. And it's like, why why do you guys even choose to be with these people? <laughs> and that's what kind of, that is what makes it fun is even the ones that have decided, like you said, to go off on their own, it's kind of just to fulfill their own selfish means. Um, the the two that split are um, Chuck, Chuck and, and Isabel. Isabel. And they have both very different reasons for doing so. And I find that the motivations behind why any of them would stay are, are very interesting. Chuck is the the one that's successful. Yeah. But he doesn't want to go back because he hates his life so much in the real world, even though he's rich and has like four wives. And, and But he, he likes this version of himself more because he can be an even bigger asshole. Yeah. And he's got like luck powers. So he literally, there, there's no consequences to his actions, basically. Hmm. Or so we thought. Yeah. Like getting that later. Um, and then Isabel is kind of has this um and i think they mentioned that she kind of has this martyr complex where to kill Saul in the first volume they kind of had to screw over the town that they were staying in yeah and she's hit with this sense of guilt and decides no we need to stay so we can help these people oh that yeah we she wants ruin to... their lives and so i do believe there is a sense of her that decides no i want to stay and help these people because they they're real to me right now yeah. and i need to help them i also think that there's a part of that though that it, she just doesn't want to go back. Yeah, either. her her life along with Chuck's is also technically better in this world, even mm-hmm. though she's dealing with. She probably deals with the most like shit just because her like power is like the God Binder, and she's constantly owing these gods in this world like favors. And gods play with your words they pretty collect, hard. Yeah, they're kind of like genies, where when you make a wish, you have to be very careful with what you ask. Yes, um, I think because. When they separate in the first volume, we they go through a portal because of one of her, her gods. And in this, we find out that she basically said, hey, get us out of here. And so make the, us make the, these people free or something like that, I think, is something along the words that she uses. Yeah. And so the opposite of that, in a, in a quite literal sense, is, OK, you're here on this side of the map. So the opposite of being here is way over on the other side of the world, but there's nothing and there's you know, you're kind of just doomed in a desert. So I read there was like extra stuff along with like the book, like Kieran Gillen wrote as little mini essays after each like volume. Mm -hmm. And he said that, I guess this is in his own mind, but the side of the die, the 20 sided die they were on was 18. And the opposite of 18 on a 20 sided die is three. And apparently he has like a speech impediment. And so when he says three, it sounds like free. Mm. And so free is his way of saying three. So that's why they ended up on the opposite side of the world in his mind. And so that's kind of neat. Turns out doing 
extra research makes makes the book make more sense sometimes. Who would have thought? I mean, I've known that because I do a lot of research <laughs> when we do these. But you know, for you, this is a great revelation. Do you think that you'll continue to do this amount of research? I mean, if people write stuff in the back of the book, I'll read it. But I'm not going to go outside of the book. <laughs> I was who waiting am, for that. <laughs> who am I? Who am I going to? Who am I going to jump outside the bounds of? My unreality, you know? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you know your limits, and I, I respect that and appreciate it. Um, and, and I I like the kind of extra... Because I, I read... I think I read most of them. I don't remember reading that part, so that's cool to know. But I read most of the blurbs in the back of the book, and it's always nice when a writer kind of uses that space to their advantage to, like you said, explain the story even further. Um, the biggest uh, reveal that I want to get to, he talks even more about in the back of the book, and just the influences that things in his personal life and just in history have on the story to find it out in the story itself, but also in, in those pages that he wrote to the reader, it, it just makes this so much better for me. Everything he does has a purpose to it in his writing. All the stuff with like um, one of the characters, like Ash's sister is like a game developer in like the outside world. And she's constantly talking about like crunch and like and and her issue because everybody seems to have their own issue in this book or even the last volume. And like her issue, she's talking about how crunch like kept her away from her family and how that ruined her marriage and how she's like now like trying to stay with her kids and also staying with the woman that she like broke her marriage up for that she met while she was doing the like video game designing and crunch and that sort of thing. And apparently he like talks about a lot of that stuff where like when he was writing the book, like crunch was a very like untalked about, but pretty well-known reality in like video game making within the industry. itself, Yeah. yeah. And so he was like, I just wanted to dive into that and like show like how messed up, like making the way we make games, like messes up people's lives and stuff like that. Because he was a video game journalist for 15 years before he started writing comics, is what I saw. Yes, and basically because of that, he learned everything that you just said, and it is sad and kind of shines a light on the reality that like this story with Angela kind of losing her marriage, her family, due to this crunch, probably in some form or another happened to a person he talked to. Um and there are a lot of those kind of those personal experiences that he brings into his characters. Um, like you said, every character in this this volume kind of gets their own personal issue to explore their characters. Um, the reason for that being, when we read the first volume, those first five issues, the f- point of that first arc is mainly to hook you in. So we get a little bit about the setup as far as like you know these kids disappeared, they came back, and now they're back in the world. And then we pretty much go into the action that leads to Saul, the one friend that didn't get out being killed. So all of that is in the first arc, which is kind of unusual for a first volume to do that much kind of heavy action. So in this, he wanted to kind of go the opposite. Think, you know, the opposite of the, the uh, die that you were talking about. It's the same thing. He wants to take this arc and explore these characters, what makes them tick, what led them to make the decisions they made in the real world and why they're making the decisions they're making now. Um, so you kind of will just have one issue about Angela, which talks about the crunch, but also um, she as a, uh, I think her, her, 
class is a Neo, so she's basically like a tech wizard of some sort in, in this fantasy genre. Um, one of her powers that we found out last time is she can summon this dog named Case. Which is like a reminder of her dog that she lost when he, she was a kid. I think we talked about that when, in the first one. Yeah, and one thing that is hard for her to kind of kind of come to terms with is because the way her powers are, are fueled is by this, this gold that's in the world. However, the gold will disappear. Every at, day, at, basically. Every day. Um, and so to keep the dog alive, she has to give him some of that gold or else he'll just disappear. But he doesn't just disappear, he just dies and then if you summon him he comes back but he feels the pain of death every time um that whole element of that and in this issue where she decides because basically they need enough gold to get out of the city that they wrecked and with him around they they can't get that gold so she has to decide to put him down one last time that whole thing stems from uh, around this time when he's writing this issue oh yeah that was another one of those small things he talked about yeah so basically kieran gillen had a cat named lemon it's a wonderful cat name, by the way. Yeah. Um, and it had when they found him, he said it had some kind of heart condition. He found him in some a lot of the same ways that I found New Cat. It was just <laughs> out and about, like yeah. under a car or something like that. And yeah. he was like, "Oh, it didn't have a chip, so I guess I have a cat now." Yeah, exactly. And this cat had a heart condition, and eventually, um, unfortunately, uh, has basically like a heart attack, and they have to put the cat down. And it's a terrible thing that he had to go through. And it's not so much even that, you know, unfortunately this cat passed. It's the fact that he had to make the decision to put it down. Yeah. And he could have let it sit around and suffer, but mm. obviously he made the right choice. But at the end of the day, he still decided to kill something. Yes. And, and that's the lesson that he talks about um, in the back of the book. And you see it reflect in Angela's decision and kind of why she struggles with, with putting this dog down is it's not so much the hurt that comes with the dogs or the cats no longer there it's i had to make the decision and yes it is for the best for the cat for the dog and for herself but all you can think about is i killed my pet um so just really interesting kind of you know insight into why he created this whole dynamic and and kind of what led to that and it's even more heartbreaking in the context of the story because like we said, she can bring this dog back, but she's not going to. And a big reason is they're trying to get out. And so when she gets out, that dog's dead anyway. And so she wouldn't want to put him through that again. Just one of the point, like many points that Kieran Gillen's making with like his book. And that's what ties it into the book. Like pretty much every single chapter has like a message that he's trying to put across from like one of his like many things that he's gone through his life with yeah it's like there's like uh i don't know it's like the fifth issue like down the line where he's talking about all the bronte sisters works and stuff like that or the bronte family works Mm -hmm. and he was like oh everybody hates talking about the classics or something like that but then like they bring up like good points and like half of this world that he's based his entire like comic on is based off of like writings of this family that dived way too deep into a fantasy world and ended up dying in the process of making it or something like that. They all got their fame, but it all all came after their death, basically. And honestly, like probably more at the time, but when you're talking about fame, I had never heard of these siblings before. No, I've and, read Jane Eyre, and I haven't. Um, so 
I guess we'll go ahead and talk about it because that is the big reveal for this this particular arc um, is that that whole kind of conception of this game because Saul is the character who didn't get out and he's dead but a zombie so they can talk to him and we can get more information as the reader. He's like the sole creator of the game and because he's thrown his whole life into it, he ends up killing himself in the process, basically. Yeah. Even though they kill him, like, he was going to die in this game whether he... Whether they did or if he did it himself kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Because these people saw the, the the Bront family. The whole reason they did what they did, they created the stories, the world, is because they were passionate about it, you know? And that's where all creativity stems from is passion. Um, and that is a good thing. But, and I think um, the kind of surrogate sister where we who reveals all this, it became a consumption. And so... She tells the story of like the um, basically the uh, Charlotte Bront, who is the one that wrote Jane Eyre. Is that right? I believe. I think so. Yeah. So Charlotte um, Bronte. Yeah. So she she has this avatar because we were told in the past issues and in this volume that these kids, the six we follow, were the first people from the real world to come into the world of die, but. By the end of the first volume, we found out, oh, there's Fallen, which are zombies, and they only pop up if you're a real person that was killed. And so, where's that, you know, there's that contradiction. And it's never explicitly said, but the way I took it is, Saul, when he created the world of Die, however he did it, we haven't gotten that answer yet, but however he created this world, you know, 25 years ago when he did it as a kid, he says he built it on, like, like you build a house, it's built on bricks, and so the bricks in this case are past stories from other people. And that was a great reveal for me because it stems back to as early as I think issue three, where we talked about um, Ash, the main kind of the main character of the story, comes across a battlefield with some uh, some elves, doors, whatever they are. Yeah. And at the end, there's a guy that just pops up and summons an eagle. And we were both like, that's J.R. Tolkien. Yeah. And we didn't understand, like, well, why is this even here? It's because of how Soul designed this. He's taking influences, stories, worlds, characters, everything from stuff that he read and, and kind of just made his own thing out of it. And this is even more so to the fact where Glastown, Angria, the character of uh, Zamorna, who's a vampire, all of that comes from the Bront family works. Yeah, apparently, like, Angria, Gondol, which is a typo, apparently it's Gondal. Yeah, yeah. And all sorts of other random stuff. All the, like, town names is based off of, like, it's something called, like, Juvenalia that the Bronte sisters wrote as a group, basically. I, I don't know Which I don't sure. know what that's called. Well, I believe it's the name of the collection of these stories. Yeah, the Juvenalia um, or whatever. Be- because basically, the the story of the Bront family, and I only know this from basically what this has told me and a little bit about what Kieran Gillen said. As kids, their father gave them 12 toy soldiers as like a gift, and they each took three, and they started to create their own stories, and then they started mixing their stories together. And so um, you get the character of Zamorna, who's like, a vampire. vampire who's in love with 17-year-olds because at the time, the girl, Charlotte, I think, is the one that wrote that character, was 17, so that was kind of her, you know, dream fan fiction man. Yeah, and um, they say, like, 
oh well 16's legal where you were back then yeah yeah and it's like yeah but that is, is that moral <laughs> it might be legal but is it moral kind of yeah. thing but that explains why he is the way he is in this is because he's based off of that character um and glass town is called the first town and die and we know that now because that's the first town they came up with when they wrote all that stuff i found that fascinating to take that and build your own world around it in such a unique way and it's explained in the context of the story so in the story soul kind of ripped off all these ideas but just looking at it from like as kieran gillen as a writer that that's great especially with this context of like this dnds kind of world because yeah. not ever having played that as far as i understand it the the kind of the characters the classes all that stuff it it can come across as a little generic but that's the point so you can build your own world and interesting stories out of it right yeah it branches it branches off of like you know jrr tolkien like made fantasy as we know it today mm -hmm. like anything that comes out of fantasy came from like his concepts of like elves and orcs and all that extra jazz tom and, bombadil like, yeah exactly yeah he's the most important character that's why he <laughs> showed up in all the movies yeah exactly uh singing a happy tune <laughs> but uh yeah, he, like, takes all this stuff that he's read, and, like, obviously the dude's well-read, and, like, coming back to, like, all the Bronte sister stuff, like, I read, like, the essay at the back of the book, and he was talking about the fact that, like, he was like, I have to write this issue, and I know he basically said every volume's gonna have an issue like the one that we're talking about, mm -hmm, yeah. where it's based off of, like, a group of work or a work made by something in the past and they tie, he ties it into his world, basically. And the first one was the issue three, J.R.R. Tolkien. The This one was the Bronte sister stuff. And he says pretty much every volume's got to have something like that. He lives in England, and apparently the Bronte sister's house is like relatively close to him. He has like a 30-minute taxi ride. And he was like, I went to their house. I saw their where they came up with all of this stuff and all that. And he was like, I got to tell Stephanie or she might even went with them. But like the pictures we're seeing in like that issue where they're like sitting in their house, it's like, it's pretty, a pretty accurate like representation apparently of like where they were doing all this stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. And I, I like kind of, there's still some mystery to that, that I don't think we'll ever get a definitive answer for, which is fine. But again, as I took it, because the, the woman telling us this in the story, like telling the heroes, refers to herself as Charlotte Bront. But what it seems to be, and, and what is the reason for the, the existence of the Fallen before those kids even got there, is they're echoes of these real-life people. So the Charlotte Bront that's in the world of Die isn't the real Charlotte Bront from, from our history. Yeah, it's her Fallen version, basically. Yeah, and... I just found it really fun and a way to go with it that I would have never have guessed. And it's cool, like, it again also explains that whole Tolkien Eagles thing, because even though at the time I thought that was really enjoyable, because I'm like, oh, I get that. That's a thing that I know. It didn't make any sense to me at all. And now it does. And it doesn't make any sense why it was involved in the story other than that it is fantasy. Yeah. And I will say, like, going through all of this second issues like i honestly the first one the first volume fell flat on me hard like mm -hmm. i don't know remember what i rated it i'm sure i gave it a good <laughs> score because like i normally do but like this second issue 
by like leaps and bounds explained this world to me and made it like you're invested yeah probably like the hardest hitting like one of the hardest hitting comics we've read like most of the time like you read the story you get to escape and you don't really have to think about the real world outside of it but like this one like just like throws so much like stuff at you every issue yeah and you like feel with the characters like god dang the the main character ash like it's a i don't remember what his name is out in the out Dom, in the real world, Dominic. Dominic. I had to look it up too. <laughs> Be, but we we talked about that in the the first issue. He's Dominic out in the real world, but he's Ash in the thing because he's bi or gay or something like that. And his fantasy world is him playing a woman, basically. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of like political stuff talking about like that sort of thing right now that I'm not going to go into. But like in the fantasy world, you're able to be whoever you want to be, and he has a tough life in the outside. He gets made fun of because of all that. Back when he made the character, he was like 16 and kids were ruthless back in the nineties about all of that sort of stuff. And in the, in the game, he's in charge of everything. He can literally do anything he wants, especially now that soul's gone. He is leaps and bounds. The strongest entity in that game. Mm hmm. He has to work around rules, and he has to fight a lot of his own personal conflicts to do that, because he, like, deals with Zamorna, and, like, there's a stuff where he, like, wronged Izzy back in the day, too, and it's just a whole mess of stuff where it makes you just, like, think about all sorts of stuff that you would never think you would think about while just reading a quick five-issue volume of a comic. Yes, and it is very brisk, which I enjoy as well. I like that even though you have in this this volume so much more character development, so much more world-building in it, it still, just like the first volume did, moves at a clip, and I think that's really enjoyable. I think it's really fun. It makes me want to go back and reread it, just which is even better because I read it again today, and there were some things I was still a little you know, kind of confused by or just like didn't quite get the first time through. But I breezed through this thing and I got so much more out of it, even a second time. And I I think that the writing, as far as all that goes, is really strong. I do think, as like a slight complaint, as we said, each issue will focus on a, a character this time and kind of go into like, why are you feeling the way you're feeling? Why are you doing what you're doing? I think that the the message is is really good. I don't think the execution at every turn is flawless. A lot of the kind of the flashback stuff that I didn't really love was the setup. It's just a lot of people just like talking to themselves or talking to people that would already know all this information yeah. just to give the reader all this expository dialogue. And like I said, that that's my slight complaint. I think that the impact it has on me is 100% there. It's just the, the setup could have been a little less clunky. Um, and it is tough when you want to kind of have these separate issues of everyone off on their own doing their own thing and like well who do they talk to and I like some of it better than others like one of my favorite characters in this just because of like how sad he is is the oh, Grief Knight Matt yeah Um, you've found out a little bit about him in the past basically like he's a statistics guy the reason he's a statistics guy is because when he was young his mom had a, an illness and so he was worried and he like studied up all this information about surgery and he's like, there's one in a thousand people that don't make it. She was the one like, it's just, 
and that leads to him creating his character class, which is a guy who has a sword that constantly tells him how much he sucks and then gives him power because of it. Yeah. Um, we got a lot more development and insight into how his powers work. I, one thing I loved is they uh, they get trapped at one point, like imprisoned, because they uh, the people of the town found out they messed up the town over. And so someone asks him, like, hey, where's the sword? And he's like, oh, you know, it's about... 400 yards this way I he like hear, hear it. he hears it like whispering to him saying like dumb stuff which i love because all i thought up until that point was the sword just will talk to him when he unsheaths it but no it just constantly berates him and tells him how awful he is and yeah of course this guy would be sad and a mess well what's like wild is um like we've talked about all of the stuff where soul has like made this game specifically based off of like old stories and whatnot, but like then we see his issue, like we're talking about, where he goes back to the place where he found the sword in the first place, where he became the Grief Knight, mm-hmm. technically, and it's some like cave or whatever. And like he goes back and he gets in that realm, and like you find out there's 12 like different knights, apparently, which I guess he's the D12. I'm not really sure that would make sense. I think there's, I think you're right, I think there's a D12. I couldn't tell you. I know there's a D10 or something like that. He's D8. Okay. Well, that's wrong then. But uh, but, but you're not wrong that there's different swords that there's, do different things. Yeah, there's there's different swords. They're like joy, anger, stuff like that. There's a group of knights called the Joy Knights, and they're like, come come on, man. Like, you don't need that. It's like, just just be angry or something like that. We want you to not be this sad sack of shit that just like gets mad and kills things. Yeah. Now that they're back as grownups, like dealing with the same sort of stuff, somehow it's like morphing to like their life struggles, like as they're older, like you'll see like kind of glimpses into their like now selves in the fantasy world Mm -hmm. versus just like glimpses into like their past, like worries or stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's like where he like sees his like daughter like has something like that she sees or something like that. I can't remember exactly. So basically what happens with him is it's what you're saying, you know, they went to this world a long time ago. They came out. They didn't leave everything behind. And so even though he says that he's been happy for the past 20, 25 years or whatever, the sword can look into him and tell that that's not the case. So one thing that's happening with him currently is his daughters are leaving. They're going off to college. And so for the last 20, 25 years, he's had a family. He's been happy. But the sword makes a point. It's like, well, if you go back, there's nothing for you because your daughters are going off. You'll maybe talk to him once, twice a week. If you could do that here, it'd be the same thing. And who knows if your wife will even want to like stay with you because that was the only thing that you guys had in common was being parents to these daughters. Oh, okay, yeah, being like parents to their kids. Yeah, and they also go into this idea of what is sadness, what is grief, how do we use it? Um, one thing, when he's fighting those other Joy Knights, you figure like, oh, they're, they're going to mop the floor with this guy. Yeah, he's so sad. Yeah, basically the way the sword puts it is if you have joy, you want to hold on to that. However, if, you're, if you have sadness, if you have despair... All you want is it gone. And so that makes Matt more powerful than four or five of these Joy Knights, and he just destroys them, Um, which then ties into they agreed to help him if he beat them in a duel. And it's like he's he's the strongest character in a fight out of all these 
these uh, humans that got transported here because Besides of that. Besides maybe like Chuck, who just gets lucky, but yeah, yeah. But I, it was one of the other essays that Kieran Gillen wrote. He was talking about like, I guess this specific point of it, where like everything has a double-edged sword. There's like an opposite to each like like emotion or whatever, and like joy and grief are like the opposite sides of a coin of each other. Mm-hmm. Where like in order to have joy. Or in order to have grief, you had to have joy beforehand or something like that. And because he's a grief knight, he's taking all in all of the aspects that make joy great and using that as a force for, like, his power, basically. And, like, yeah, his, he has joy in his daughters, and he, he loved having them. But now that he might lose them, grief is a very powerful force that helps him, like, work through it, basically. Like, the fact that he has grief meant that he had something great beforehand to grieve. Yeah, it's something worth losing, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of is, I think, the theme of this volume that, and maybe the point of this overall story. We know that when these kids got back out, you know, after that two-year gap, they hung on to a lot of this stuff, and it, it affected them as people in the real world. I think being back in it now and going through it as adults and kind of taking lessons differently. Karen Gillan wants to tell a story of how do you take these these negative moments, these horrible things that are happening to you, and like you said, kind of put it to, to something good. And so I think that basically by the end of the story, assuming that some or all of them get out, they're going to be better off in the real world than when they got out the first time. Because now that they're back in as adults and you know Matt's talking to the sword probably more than he ever had, um, Angela... Yeah, I was able to let go of the dog and realizes more than ever how much she wants to get back and fix her family. Even Chuck has some character development in this that's really interesting for me. So I I like all the character development that they're doing here. And again, what I hope and think it's going to kind of lead into in, you know, the last 10 issues of this, um, the biggest kind of deviation of all of these, these stories and all these characters is Ash and, I think there's a point to that as well. Yeah, before you talk about that, I think we've talked about a lot of heavy-hitting stuff. Mm-hmm. And like Chuck, I think we could use a drink. Oh, Higgins, I have a drink right here. Will you tell me about it? Yeah, I can tell you about it. That's great. I think uh, last issue we did uh, drinks that involved dragons. I think I did a red one and you did like a white one, if it, I'm remembering right. Yeah, it brought the up link, my eyes. The link's, yeah. gone. the link's gone, so we don't know. It's true, the link it's doesn't dead exist. To, dead yeah. to the world. Mm, that's a shame. That person couldn't keep their blog up. So well, luckily, you talk about what's in the drinks. Yeah, a lot of the time you can go back to that issue and find it. The only sour spot about that is you actually have to listen to it, but <laughs> that just gives us more and more streaming analytics, so that'd be great. It is a pain we don't want anyone to have to go through, though, if we're honest. Well, I think this link will be good for a while for this drink we're drinking. Um, tell me what's in this. It's got Kool-Aid. Yeah, so the first one was a dragon drink, and this one's called uh, Dungeon Punch. So we got the dungeons and we got the dragons. And uh this one's this one's fun. It's like a little it's it's very fruity. You can't really taste the alcohol at all. Mm-hmm. It's uh not like a lot of the drinks we've done lately where you can kind of taste the alcohol a lot, but like they mix together well. Ugh. This one's just like mixer on mixer on mixer and it's pretty great if I have to say so myself. It'd be perfect at any high school party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um so dungeon punch on the rip. One part vodka, three parts orange juice, 
five parts uh, fruit punch uh, Kool-Aid or your knockoff Kool-Aid brand. One ounce of peach schnapps and something I forgot to put on our drink this time what? was uh, two cherries. So I guess we'll have to make another one now to top that off. I guess so. I guess we'll take this moment to uh, grab a new drink. Um, I'm going to put a fun sound effect that you recorded earlier uh, for our break and we'll be right back. All right. Goodness, that's lovely. I know. A refreshing summer drink in the middle of this rainy spring day. Um, I know. Just to think, like, we could have had a banana split cocktail, though, too. And we might still. We don't know. (laughs) You don't know what we're going to get into, Higgins. Um, But one thing I would like to get into is more of that that ash talk. Yeah. That ash? Dad ash. (laughs) She doesn't have much of a dad ash. I I like the character of Ash. I uh, oh yeah, she's like terrible. She's the most complex out of all of them, and that's not to take anything away from all the other characters. They got their own stuff going on. Yeah, but, she's you know. a good character, but she's terrible. She's uh, uh, the the description I saw or the connection I saw for her is Cersei in like Game of Thrones. Very much so, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um or like yeah, you can see like where she's trying to go and what she's trying to do, but like she's doing it in a lot of the wrong ways. And and I question her motives basically all the time, which I really enjoy. You know, since this is all started when they got trapped back in this world again, she was the first to step up and be like, "All right, I'm going to get you all home." I do think that part of her is still like that's her main goal is to get get these people home. I don't think she wants to go home herself. Like ever since the beginning she's been the one that's that stood out the most. Everyone kind of looks like their real world counterparts. She's the only one who, you know, got in the real world white-haired maiden with crazy devil speak powers in this world. Still Even, kind of similar looks though. I mean, it's like a guy with long white hair in yeah, the, yeah. in the real world, so like you know, just that even that gender swap in her being the only one and, and the fact that not just her, but everyone around her that knows it's Dominic on the other side still refers to Ash, you know, as Ash and she. It's that that kind of thing you were talking about at the very beginning of this episode of you can be anything you want to in this world, so why don't you? This to me is like a Batman Bruce Wayne kind of comparison. Yeah, just an aside, like I play a game similar to this, and I'm a one-handed cleric dwarf guy that used to be a blacksmith but now i call on the powers of god to give people luck that's not me other than the fact that i'm a dwarf with one hand (laughs) basically two different people though if you take that element out yeah um (laughs) and she does have similarities to her her kind of real world character the main thing being i think she's got a thing for soul um just the like flashbacks it looks like izzy was kind of in a flirtationship with soul well they were dating yeah they were dating at the beginning and then like ash wanted to date soul and that's where like the like bisexuality part of him comes into play Mm -hmm. because i think he has a wife and like an almost kid we find out they they don't have kids they tried they um they did ivf yeah it didn't take though uh so they never had kids but he did get married um and he seems pretty happily married but one thing he he points out in this is so basically when we get to the ash issue we had seen all these flashbacks of all these other characters we saw flashbacks with ash but they were all from the first time they got trapped in the world and then there's just a 
quick little moment where he's like, hey, I haven't talked about my wife, Debbie, that much. You should probably like think that's a problem. I think it's a problem. And, and it just plays into this idea I have that Ash, since all this has started, has said, Matt, I'm going to get you home. Angela, I'm going to get you home to your kids. He's never once been like, or she's never once been like, I want to get home. Yeah. And, and that's the tricky part of all this, I think, and, and what I think Ash's real plan is. Because as of right now, they know the only way we're going to get home is if we all agree to it and we all do the magic circle spell or whatever. Yeah, I think that this plan that, that she's doing, all every, every move that she's made, she's trying to find a way to get them home, but Keep not herself. Here, yeah. yeah. And, and Saul is still very much a character in this, which I enjoy, because we don't know a lot about that character before he dies, but they found a way to kind of keep him in the play with um, the Fallen stuff. And he's just constantly taunting everyone. But one thing that he said every now and again that really kind of resonates with me is... He did it all for her. He did it all for Ash, because that was the whole thing that led up to this, was it was Dominic's birthday in the real world, and Solomon decided he was going to make Dominic, Ash, whatever, a game. And he's like, I made this for you. I think the reason that they are as great of friends as they are... Is maybe there's this... Like an underneath like relationship between the two of them. I don't even. Well, I, I think they or both love the each I, other, or at least the idea that he knows that Dominic is in love with them, even if he can't be with them in the real world, he can potentially show that in the fantasy world or something like that. See, I I look at it as more of their connection, their their bond is about this stuff. They both feel like themselves more in this world than they ever have in the real world. And that's why they play these games. That's why they're obsessed with them. And so when Solomon finds a way to create this this portal to a different reality where they can just be whoever it is that they want to be in this fantasy realm, I think that the whole reason for Solomon trying to get them back wasn't to get all of them back. I'm sure he did want all of them back because it's part of the game or whatever. I think it's all about this obsession they both share with this stuff. And I think that that parallels the story of the Bront family that we find out in this. I think that Charlotte, Bronwell, like all of those siblings, they have the same obsession that Ash and Sol have. And that's going to lead to this ending with Ash either dies in this world, the villain, or just stays in this world forever. Yeah, the other thing that shows up in that issue, he um, or she talks about that uh pin dragon like role playing game where like apparently you can play it your entire life and never finish it and then you pass your character along to your kids and they keep going and as you find out through this issue that she has a child called Augustus with Samorna who was Izzy's love in the book beforehand or, or in the game beforehand and then Zamorna being the creepy guy that we talked about him being before liked Ash more because he found it as more of a challenge or something like that. I think he sees a lot of himself in, in yeah. her, yeah. And there's a whole lot of twisty turvy subjects as far as that goes, but like basically I think like she sees the fact that she didn't get to have the kid in the outside world, uh, Ash, but she did have a kid that she left behind in this fantasy world that she like she had, and there was something with Izzy where Izzy made like a pretty like big deal with a god 
she makes a deal with one of the gods to bring Ash to term basically instantly because yeah, they yeah, need to right. get out. They need to get out of the game, but they didn't want to kill. They didn't want Ash. Ash couldn't be pregnant in the real world. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, you're talking politics all day on yeah. this episode, Higgins. Oof. A man with a baby? With a ba- yeah, I don't even want to think about it. I don't, don't want to talk about it. I don't think men are allowed to hold children as far as I know. It just, it technically can't. I'm just going to stop saying words now. <laughs> uh, and we haven't talked a ton about Izzy, but I think the most interesting aspect of her character is this rocky kind of relationship she has with Ash. They clearly from the beginning, even before they got trapped in the world the first time, don't really like each other that much. Um, mainly because, you know, that's Saul's girlfriend back then and Dominic clearly had something going on with, with Saul as far as feelings or whatever. And so there's always been this this jealousy and, and this resentment, which I think is one of the reasons Ash says she did what she did with Zamorna is because she knew Izzy liked him at that time. Yeah. Um, what I also like about that, though, is they're adults now. And so this isn't them squabbling over, I'm in love with this sexy vampire king. No, I am. It's, you know, we both have things we want to do. Let's work together, even though we, we mostly just hate each other. Um, because they know how valuable each of them are. And, and that's kind of turning into this this coup you find out a lot more about the the whole kind of role of a dictator, which is Ash's class and why they're so feared um, and kind of the precautions that they've taken against other dictators in this world. So they're not just like an unstoppable force, basically, because mm. the dictators are able to like say words and immediately make the person want to do what they say. Mm-hmm. But you find out they can only do that with willing people infinitely for unwilling people. They can only do it once. And as soon as they make another like pact with an unwilling person, the other one breaks, basically. And, and that's kind of adding this fun kind of tension because everyone in this world hates the dictators because they're afraid of them. Well, Ash is the one they hate the most because you can't control her. The, the, the kind of the failsafe they have in this world for dictators is this guy makes chains that can kind of bind them to a person and that person can kill them on command. Well, they could never do that with Ash, and she uses that whole system to her advantage to get the other dictators on her side, and now at the end of this volume, she becomes the queen of Angria. By using Izzy's plan to make Zamorna the king of Angria, basically, and then she marries him by making him listen to her to make him... God, it's a whole lot of confusing stuff. <laughs> she basically uses Izzy, her power to make Zamorna her her servant. Her well, her servant, but also her husband. Yeah, well, Izzy yeah. does some political stuff to bring him out of Angria to make him king over the Eternal Prussia and all that jazz or whatever. But then, alongside of that, Ash uses her power to make Zamorna like basically bend his will to her in order to be in charge of it in the long run. But that's one of the only things they talk about near the end of the book. It's like, you know, if you ever, like, try to control someone that's unwilling again, Zamorna's going to slit your, like, rip slit your, your throat th- Yeah, out. rip your throat yeah. out. So she basically, like, has made herself useless as far as, like, her dictator power goes. Beyond the fact that she is now the queen, which could is technically a power in and of itself. Yeah. And, and that's what I like about it is this is very much for these characters. This is real. Everything that's happening, every like the stakes are so high. 
she's still playing it like a game, and that's why she's ahead of everybody else. It, it's it's just a nice little kind of reminder of this is a game. Like that is the whole point of this world being created, and why they got sucked into it is it it's a story, it's a campaign, as any one of those Dungeons and Dragons or, or whatever games. And I like that Kieran Gillen found a way to kind of bring everything back to that core idea. Um, I just I think that's a really kind of cool thing to still hold on to because it would be so easy to just kind of not really bring attention to any of that stuff anymore now that we've gotten past the initial setup uh, but he still does and I, I think that's solid writing um, I think I've said all I needed to say about this volume but I am really looking forward to getting into the rest of it later on yeah yeah I'm I'm cool I'm cool with whatever you want to do you're super chill aren't you yeah no yeah. I'm uh, the dungeon punch might be hitting me a little bit <laughs> Snuck up on me a it's, little bit. I told, I told you, you gotta chill. You shouldn't have put that extra shot of the vodka in there. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but um, are you sober enough to give a rating for this volume? Yeah, no, I'm I'm good. Um, I'm gonna give it a uh, D12, which probably doesn't, which I know doesn't exist now. And I'm pretty sure that's the same rating you get the first volume. Is it? It might be. I, I don't, don't know. know. That's probably right. <laughs> I don't know what it means. It it's mean- not. It's not a D12 out of twenty. Like that's not how this game works. No. No. That's, That's not, how, not how ratings work. Absolutely. It's a D12. It. I don't... It's cool. <laughs> You're cool, Higgins. It's, cool, it's a cool book. That punch is punching you hard. I can tell. I, I think this is a solid story. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to what happens next. And for those reasons and all the other things, I'm going to swing my grief sword so hard because I'm so sad that this book is over. Well, you got... You, I mean, you got half half of it down the, down the drain. Higgins, I'm so sad. Yeah, ten more. You got ten more issues that you could that you could jump into if you wanted to. I th- I think my rating roughly equates to a D eight though. If you're looking for something a bit more punchy. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Well, Higgins, this has been fun. I guess I'll go home now. Dun 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 dun. Readings for squares. Hell. Now, what do I do in this segment exactly? You talk about anything but books. You can talk about music. You can talk about games. You can talk about movies. You can talk about TV. Anything we've consumed in the past, like. I don't know. For this case, it's only been a couple weeks, but... Well, something uh, we've consumed recently, we could talk about if you want. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you were there. You saw it. Oh, Infinite... Infinite? No, you didn't see that. No, I didnn't see Infinity Missing? Pool. Missing is what we saw, yes. Do you yeah, want to talk yeah. about Missing Yeah, for we a can second? talk about that. I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. It's... Man, it's everything that we said we hate about like comics and like stuff these days, but they did it really well in a movie. Yeah, yeah. So uh, missing came Where out the- this year, I think, and sounds it's right. Starring a few people. Really, the only person of note is um, Stormy Reed. I think is her name. Yeah, what's she in? So that I would know because you- I recognized her. I don't know if you saw this, but she's Riley in an episode of The Last of Us. So. I don't know that, but her face was recognizable for some reason. I'm just going to confirm that that's her name, because Stormy Reed sounds like a different kind of profession. Her name, sorry. Stormy Reed kind of sounds, sounds like, like a Fantastic Four character. Yeah, Stormy Reed. Okay, yeah, so uh, like I said, she's definitely Riley in The Last of Us. Um, she's been in Euphoria. Maybe that's where you recognize her from. That's that's what it is, yeah. She's, I watched that. Yeah. It's her. It's uh, Zendaya's sister. Oh, okay, cool. In, cool. in Euphoria. Okay. Yeah, 
She's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, just up and coming. Only 19 years of age. Do you remember the last time you were 19 years of age? Oh, man, 10 years ago. A- easily. 29? 20. <laughs> Almost 30. Uh, I just broke the fourth wall. You People did. didn't know how old we were before now. It's just, it's a good thing you are 29. Yeah. You, otherwise, you couldn't say it like that, and we'd have to beat you up. Yeah. Um. Pretty soon, I won't be able to say it anymore, and that upsets me. Uh, this movie did not upset me, though. So, yeah, Missing. You have seen something like it if you have seen that John Cho movie called Searching where it's the same thing. There's someone goes missing and we watch the movie through the lens of computer laptop cameras, FaceTime, backup cameras. Like It's just told that way, um, which could easily get really annoying, but... Actually worked really good in this movie. It does pretty good. I, I will say that like you have to suspend disbelief because how they come to certain realizations are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it wouldn't happen as well as that. She's very tech savvy. Yeah, and the cops are very helpful, so you know that's not exactly how things would go down. Yeah. Um, but this is really fun. If you're in for this sort of thing, um, I thought I would get tired of the whole, you know, we're on a laptop camera kind of thing. They switch it up enough and kind of pace their big reveals and moments well enough where I am constantly just kind of wondering well what's going to happen next like and you know the supporting cast is fun there is a <laughs> there, Javier, Javi there's Javi who is a guy that she hires through um some kind of like work app yeah it's a uh, like uh what's it's like work not workforce it's, it's something called, like that it's called go ninja but it's like um jackrabbit or yeah, something yeah. like that where it's like you hire like someone for a quick task like I'll pay you twenty dollars to mow my lawn. Yeah, like what a deal! She got that guy for like eight dollars an, an hour. Yeah, but she was talking to him all the time. He was making plenty of money. Yeah, and it just it, it it's a good time. I think I uh, like I said if you are if you are down for this kind of format and can just go along with the the craziness of the plot because basically Stormy Reed wants to find her mom who went missing while on a trip to like Spain or something. Yeah, and what a what a what a wild ride. ride. Yeah. Um, I don't think I picked up on it until very close to the end, what was going to happen. And I won't ruin it for you guys. Yeah, watch it with a group. It's real yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot more fun watching with people. If I had watched it by myself, I don't know that I would have had as much fun with it. I probably would have hated it a little bit, if yeah. I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, good stuff. And I like this I like this actress a lot. She's good in The Last of Us. She's good in some other things I've seen her in. She's the daughter in the Suicide Squad movie. The one that yells at Idris Elba about being oh, a bad okay. dad. She's, yeah. She's just... Deadshot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, that's the Will Smith one. Dead. Dead Eye. Dead Eye? Dead, dead Stroke. It's one of the deads. Deathstroke. Hmm. What is that guy's name? Death it's not stroke? important. Um, is it Deadshot? I thought that was Will Smith's character. Bloodsport. Bloodsport? Bloodsport. There we go. Got it. Jesus. Yeah. Who would have thought? Um, so, yeah. Really good stuff. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to talk about, though? We're going to see a concert soon. We'll talk about that. I am? Next. Uh, yeah, we are. Oh. All together. You mean With a new our, cat? Which is another... Who's scratching which, on the bookshelf? Yeah, which is another fun segue. He's picking at the... There's little buttons on the side of the bookshelf that he likes to take off. What a curious little kitty. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, we're going to see a concert. One of my favorite, one of our favorite bands, Microwave, mm. Oso Oso, a couple of other people. With um, funny enough, <laughs> our next co-host, 
and you've you've heard her name before, our first lady co-host of the the podcast, my gal Bethany Tilson. Mm. We're gonna see it with her. Microwaves are a great band. Go check them out. I don't have anything else to talk about in this segment. I'm just gonna tell you what next book we're gonna read. I don't remember what the volume's called, but it's um. It's the Higgins family photo album. That's right. We're going to spend an hour <laughs> looking at baby photos of little Higgins well, and, adorable, his, and his adorable bum. And then we're going to look at his real bum now to see how it, how it compares. It's out. It's, it's right in the microphone. If you guys knew how microphones worked, you would know what it looked like. <laughs> no, we're going to read a, a Firefly thing. Yeah, Firefly. God, I could not for the life of me think of the name of that thing. Should I watch Firefly before we record? No, you don't, because this is a prequel comic. Oh, thank um, God, so I want to read this before I watch it. Something like that, yeah, that's fine. Uh, it's called The Unification War, Volume 1. So basically, in Firefly Higgins, all the main characters, they were in a really bad war. I know that because they tell me. But we've never really seen that much of the war, so that's what this comic's going to do. Um, Bethany picked this comic, so... Yeah, she's she's a pretty big fan of Firefly, and like... Maybe that means I should have watched it by now, but... I mean, Higgins, you're your own person. You don't have to do what your girlfriend does. You know that I can't watch things by myself very well. No, you get scared. Yeah. And you hate war. Yeah. Yeah. Firefly's good, though. Uh, and it's only one season, so I would really probably would be able to fi- finish it up. You won't. It's it, They're long episodes, Higgins. Yeah, it's, the first one was like an hour long, and that's what really... I started watching it, and I didn't finish it. You know what you could do? We're going to talk about the comic for this segment that we, or the segment we did a little bit ago where we talked about missing and other things. Yeah. You could talk about the first episode of Firefly. Oh, just one episode. Just one episode. very palatable. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good first episode for memory. Yeah. Um, And I've seen the show and the movie. I've heard it's one of the biggest cult classics like out there. Yeah. It's one of the ones that people want, wanted and still want more of just a season two is all they I know want. they got a, yeah. i know they got a movie but movies i like the movie i don't think bethany likes the movie we'll talk to her about it um i think they still want like five more seasons though to make it like a full five seasons in a movie oh six seasons in a movie they already got one season oh, though. that's true then it'll be a full community yeah um so yeah we're gonna read the unification war volume one with bethany now higgins is that by oh god you asked me more questions than i was ready for greg pack all right, cool. I've heard his name before. What's uh, the stu- what's who writes what's the comic people for that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll uh, talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about it next issue. I know. I, I did the research on this other book. We we give me some time. Uh, yeah. but yes, the Unification War Volume One, uh written by Greg Pack. That I was I can just tell making right a fun now. joke because it's one of your favorite gags. It's actually by Boom! Oh God! Studios. Higgins, it's going to peak in the audio, but luckily we're recording 32 bits so I can bring it down. It's not boring. Man, that's the first time you got me. I've never done it before. Is this what people feel like when I do this? <laughs> it's exhilarating. Um, all right. So we're going to read that with Bethany. Uh, now, I've said her name multiple times to try and get you to uh, mention the review that she left for us on oh, the podcast. Man, I kind of forgot that we did that. Higgins, um, I sent you the screenshot. I've yeah, done all the work, all right? We got a screenshot. Okay, so we say that we read all of the things on the podcast, and I think she had this ready for us last yes. episode, but we didn't read it because Steve was there and he was more important. Always is. At least in our lives. He's in the other room. Hey, Steve. Well, new cat's here too. Yeah, he's there. 
Um, so yeah, she uh, gave us a five star rating and a review. Okay, it's one of the first ones in a while. It's uh, fun to have. It says uh, the title of it is Five Superheroes, Three Bear Fights, and One Mystery Oh My. The perfect podcast full of puns, drinks, and two best friends shooting the poo, talking about all types of comics. Unlike some podcasts, these guys bring you the mainstream and the most obscure comics available. This is a perfect podcast for any situation. Driving, working, awkward family gatherings. These guys will bring happiness and all the ha-has. That's good. No, it dude, felt I, good. I take umbrage with the fact that we bring up obscure comics. The only things we talk about are so hip and mainstream. I appreciate it. I mean, I hope she didn't feel obligated to do that, being my gal and all, but she is like one of our biggest fans. She's listened to every episode pretty much as soon as she caught up on the day they come out, so I'm glad she finally gave us a nice rating and a nice review. And that's why she's allowed to come on the podcast. Yeah. And we get to have a lady on the podcast for the first time ever, so... It's a kind of diversity that we haven't quite hit yet. We've We've had Steve. We've had Dog and Cat. We've had, that's mostly Other it. white people. <laughs> yeah, we have, haven't we? Yeah. We should work on that next. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get a ginger. Yeah. That'd be the most diverse we could ever be. He's about the closest we've got to a ginger so far. He could dye his hair red and we can have him back Bethany's again. Bethany's hair is actually red, so she'll hate me for saying that, but. Like in real life? Like yeah. Without... Right now it's red. Oh, okay, good. We'll talk about that on the yeah. next episode then. Um, for right now, though, I think it's time we let the good people go. Yeah, so uh, before we do that, I'll sweep up and uh, tell you that you can do what Bethany did that we just read, where you can rate and review our stuff on on things. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Apparently, you can like kind of like do it on Spotify on a episode basis. When you listen to a podcast on Spotify, it'll say like what questions or blah 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 do you have you can like put a little words on there and it'll show up on the episode itself okay uh you can give it a rating uh on apple podcast you can give it a rating and review that's where a lot of people will see it if you can give it whatever you want we're just happy to see that you guys are interacting with us and hopefully we haven't uh, made anybody upset and if we have Higgins we'll talk is about, very we'll, sorry we'll still read it on the podcast and then maybe talk about it later and try to be better <laughs> um, you can also talk to us at a lot of places. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MikeHiggins93 and Instagram at JSTERM93. You can find Snoop at Instagram at Snoop underscore Lynch. And you can also send us an email at the Comixology Club at 0-0-8studios.com. But yeah, um, that's pretty much all of the things. Um, go look at Michael's website, 0 0-8studios.com we'll have a link in our uh, show notes and it's pretty cool and you're pretty cool Higgins yeah um, and then check out his book it's super good The Eternal Crown Dawning of the Red Sun yep that was more of a question Yeah, I'll say it with more of like affirmative action can you put a colon in there too with your voice I'll have to think about that All right. okay You put me on the spot a lot at the last second here. I don't know if I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, but yes, uh, do that. Thank you for listening if you do. Thank you for leaving reviews if you did. Leave more if you want to. Send us an email. Uh, tell Higgins on Twitter you love him. And get in there quick before we're too big for us to read all of them. Mm-hmm, yeah, well, I won't even look at Twitter after a certain point of fame. Yeah. Nope, don't even do it now. Twitter won't even be, al- be alive in like a year, probably. Nope. nope. Um, 
But until we see you next time, and Bethany, I guess, I will say both cheers, guys, and I will tell Higgins to get that egg in him. And um, roll a roll a dice to see if I can end this episode. Hopefully, I can. I got to roll higher than a three to do it. So I rolled a fifteen. New cat loved it. So uh, I'll see you guys later.